name is John Esquivel. Uh, my question to you is maybe Alan Bonifay can also answer the question. Is there ever been a situation, well, we know that God would never give it a commandment that we cannot keep uh, to worship him. Has there ever been a, have there ever been, ever been a situation where somewhere in the world that grapefruit is not readily available so that we can have communion? That's my question. There, uh, you mean the grape juice? Juice from grape, you said grapefruit, you mean grape? Yeah, fruit of the vine. Fruit of the vine, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are places in the world where grapes do not grow. Uh, but that, as, as we studied earlier today, what we look at and say, what is God's command here? What is God's will here? And how can we obey that? And so let me give you an example. For many years, um, there was no ready source of grape juice in many parts of Africa. And brethren here, congregations here, contributed to that need to the tune of hundreds and thousands of dollars through the years so that individuals would be able to commune every Lord's Day. And so what we, what we have said is that this can be done and everyone around the world can do it. And a lot of times anymore, what you hear, now not 40 years ago, but now what you hear is we are very poor. We do not have money for grape juice. And that will be said usually like this. As someone is checking their phone, they'll say, we are very poor. We don't have money for grape juice. And I will say, you have a phone. <laughs> Our contribution is very, very low. It's like, well, can you change that? Our people don't give very much. Well, can, can you change that? And so the object is that people will let others supply their needs sometimes as long as others will supply their needs. And then sometimes individuals say, we can do this. We can do this. And they do. So yes, there's been times when grape juice has been seemingly impossible to get. When Brother Allen and I were in Indian June, he had the forethought to bring uh, <laughs> grape juice with him in his luggage. And we got there and we were told, yeah, grape juice is hard to get here. And so he was able to to be aware of that. I was not. And, uh, and he was able to help supply that need. So we look at those situations and say, where's their problem? And how can we fill that need? We do not ever say to someone, don't worry about it. Just change the Lord's Supper. Just call yourself Corinth. No, we, we, don't, we don't go there. So it can be done, but it's not always easy. But it can be done. And we try to make sure that we know where we're when anybody's going to come gather for worship, that they're working really hard to make sure they have grape juice. So. Okay. Joe Gatson. Good lesson there, brother. Thank you. Good lesson. I, I, I just thought time. Have you ever studied a Seder? Have you ever heard that term? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not understanding. You ever heard the term Seder? S-E-D-E-R. Seder. Seder, yes. Okay. You ever studied the Seder? The Jewish Seder? Yes. You know, they are... They, uh, they would put four cups on the table. Yes. And when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he used a third cup. Yes. And it's uh, most time we don't we overlook some things. Sometimes we read, and like when Paul said, the cup of blessing which we bless. Yeah. That's that's what he referred to the third cup. It was called a cup of blessing. Uh -huh. Called a cup of redemption. That's why it come. That's where he used that that statement. Okay. I just think so. That. So in reading about that, and that's a fascinating thing because we don't see in the Old Testament when a drink element was introduced into the yeah. Passover. We don't see that. So 
uh, whenever you get to how many cups were used in the Passover, and let's presume that that is true, that what we've been told uh, is true, that this was the third cup of the Passover and it was called the cup of blessing, that simply means, could you hand me my coffee cup right there, that styrofoam cup? That simply means when Jesus picked up the cup, we don't know nor do we care how many other cups were on the table. Yeah, and I wasn't talking about how many cups was on the table. It was a special name for that cup he picked up. It was called the cup of blessing. And he, he used, used that yeah, cup. He used that cup. So I'm just saying. He used that cup for a special have, service. Now, but my point is, he didn't set it back down and pick up another one. Yep. That's the cup he took, and that's the cup he passed. And so no other cups mattered. But yeah, that's a fascinating part of the Lord's Supper uh, to dig into. Thank you. Brother Nelson. I really appreciate that study, uh, Brother Gay. I learned a lot from it. Uh, but in the people that uh, we try to convert to the true church, uh, that cup is what they stumble on. Yeah. And if you don't have the, uh, like you say, the shiny cup, you just use any cup. They they concern about germs. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that situation if you're just going to use uh, just another cup other than a stainless steel cup? So uh, I lived 40 years in California, born and raised in Missouri. I think it was the eighth grade when we got indoor plumbing. <coughs> Water, drinking water for me, was a bucket in the corner of what we used for a kitchen with a dipper in it. So when I read that the cup is passed from person to person, it's like, yeah? <laughs> it's like, and I do that all over the world. Because all over the world, people are saying the same thing. It's like, you want me to drink from one cup? Now, I've just watched these people on a hot day share the same bottle of bottled water from person to person and think nothing of it. And so I just say, well, now that's fine. If we're going to count germs, as people have done, <laughs> and this may come as a surprise, and, and those with medical knowledge in the audience can verify this after the fact. Um, as I understand it, we have far fewer germs on our mouth than we do on our hands. So if you want to protect yourself from germs, uh, don't wallow the loaf all around. But what has proven, what's time proven? Time has proven that that's not a problem. So one time long ago, there was a, visitors to a congregation in California where we were, and uh, they were not of our people. They didn't know us. We didn't know them. But I wanted to introduce them to what they were about to see. There was a cloth over the Lord's Supper. And so I was talking to them and visiting to, with them, and, and I would say, now, when that cloth is lifted, here's what you're going to see. Well, uh, in front of us, as we were talking, was this list that said, pray for all these people. It was full of names. And so I said, now, when that cloth is lifted back, you're going to see a, a single plate with a, a single loaf of bread on that, unleavened bread, and we're going to pass that around. And then you're going to see a single cup, and it'll have grape juice in it. And they said, a single cup? I said, yeah. And just as quick as a flash, the man said, you, do you think that's why there's so many names on your sick list? <laughs> and my, my response was, well, if that was really a problem, we would all be dead. 
And so what we do see is that by inspiration, the Lord said, it's okay to, care, to share a common loaf of unleavened bread, and it's okay to share a common drinking vessel that contains the fruit of the vine. And so to individuals who are appalled by that when we first meet them, it's like, I know, that's contrary to everything we're told today, isn't it? But let's just think about how germs are shared and what that really looks like. And let's dig into it. Let's look at it. And among the things we'll find, and I know it's difficult to trust the medical profession these days, but to the best of my knowledge, that when I've researched it within the last year, there's never been a recorded case of a transmitted disease from a common communion cup. And so time has proven that that is not an issue. Now, some would say, oh, you have to have a silver cup to mitigate, to mitigate germs. Well, let me talk to you about how we commune. Okay, years ago, I was asked to help pass the communion. And I hadn't done that since I was a kid. So somebody asked me, it's like, oh, okay, I don't know how anymore. But So as, as the cup was going from person to person, if you're going to pass the communion, you can't help but watch. You're, you want to make sure no one is left out. And it was a cup with handles. And what I noticed was that many times when somebody got the cup, instead of just grasping it and drinking, they would turn it. And they would drink over the handle. <laughs> and at the end of the Lord's Supper, I did not, but I wanted to say, do you realize that more of you have drank over the handle than just picked it up and drank? <laughs> and so what are we doing? You know, it's a, it's a matter of faith. Just pick it up and drink and it'll be fine. I'm through. Okay. Well, we have uh, three, four people. So Brother Marcus then Brother Ashton, and then Brother Noah, and then Brother Richard. And I think that will. Thank you so much for your presentation, oh, definitely appreciate it. <laughs> I remember shortly after I obeyed the gospel, I asked a brother about you know, the uh, sanitary and the Lord's Supper. And uh, he said, I would rather die doing what the Lord asked me to do than disobey and you know, die doing he, didn't, he was trying to say that we were going to die, but he was just saying if I did, if something did happen, yeah. I would rather do that. Yeah. Um, but my question goes to, which I, you uh, touched in your topic. Um, if I'm waiting at the table and I pass around a loaf and it's been completed and a brother or sister misses it, uh, what happens? Or if I'm passing around a loaf or the cup and uh, somebody comes in after or during what happens, and also what is the responsibility of that person who uh, didn't commune? So those, those are excellent questions. We don't talk about these things often enough because we do have times when we don't know what to do. And so many times in a large crowd, we will say, was anyone overlooked? Raise your hand if you were overlooked. And somebody may say, you know, and what they're saying, like what that fellow said long ago, check the room. <laughs> and so we try to make sure we've gotten everyone there. We're either there for worship or we trust someone is excused for worship. But we cannot make up worship after it's over. So if someone is delayed, like when the time changes, hmm, that happens. 
And as sure as we say, it'll never happen to me, it can. If we are delayed, we don't have everyone stop and recreate what we have missed. Understand there are five items of worship. And many times our emphasis is only on the Lord's Supper. And it's like, well, do you want to sing? No, <laughs> just give me the Lord's Supper. So what we do is, when one is over, since there's two separate actions, and the bread comes first, and the cup comes second, since there's two separate actions, when the bread is finished, the bread is finished. And when someone comes walking through the door after that, they were either excused from being there or they weren't, but that's between them and God. It does not cause the congregation to recreate worship for them. Now that's my view of what these scriptures mean, because they're separate actions within the Lord's Supper. Brother Noah? I know many of us know about this already, but I just want to say for the record, on the question of sanitation in communion, there's an excellent tract put out by Dr. James Orton, uh, his edition of the tract, Sanitation and Communion, which covers many studies on that issue and uh, very convincing studies. The British government sponsored a study on this issue because the Church of England practices common communion. And they tried every possible way you can try to transmit germs through a communion cup, even getting messy in, in the, uh, the backwash, so forth, and they found it's highly unlikely you're going to transmit an illness through that. You're more likely to transmit illness shaking hands with somebody in the church building. But, of course, the, this is a broader issue than that. It's not about sanitation, but it's about what God has asked us to do and, and uh, you know, human wisdom about his method doesn't really factor into it. Um, talking about symbolism, circumcision was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament and that was instituted while the Israelites were out in the desert, in the wilderness and they never asked, it never factored into them that it might be unsanitary to be practicing circumcision uh, out there in those conditions, but it was a, a matter of doing what God asked them to do as their covenant people. Brother Middick and then Brother Bunner. Uh, or, I'm sorry. Maddick. Maddick. Brother Maddick. <laughs> um, thank you, Brother, for your presentation. It was, it was very, very good. Uh, actually, I think Brother Mathis and Brother Howard kind of touched a little bit on what I was wanting to say. Um, but there's a, just a comment, but I think we need to be careful of literature that uses silver communion cup as a, as a reason to say that communion with one cup is okay. Because the silver, oh, that mitigates the germs. I, I think, as you referenced, I think that's a, that's a false doctrine, uh, to put it even in the mildest of terms. Um, as far as sickness and sanitation and communion again, you know, uh, I think I saw a study here recently where kissing, uh, the act of kissing is, uh, you're swapping about 85 million bacteria, uh, bacteria back and forth between one another. And I don't think folks are going to stop that anytime soon. So, so I really, I, I think to me, there's a couple of things it comes down to. 
it doesn't have to really do with bacteria. I think it has to do with who. And I think some people look at their brethren and they are disgusted by other people. And they're disgusted by their brethren. The same uh, person whose child may drop their pacifier on the ground and they just pick it up and put it in their mouth to clean it, so to speak. Uh, the same person might be disgusted by drinking after someone else. And so I think that's an issue. I think when we're concerned with who we're drinking after, um, that is a for sure a problem. But also, let's say it did cause some illness. And it might, uh, the way that... Uh, uh, diseases mutate and things like that. Let's say there comes a day where drinking after one cup causes some kind of an illness. The question has nothing to do with sanitation, but it has everything to do with faith in God. And if we ever forget that, uh, then we've lost the significance of the Lord's Supper entirely. There are individuals who very subtly, because of various reasons, some new in the church, some not, always have a little, little sanitary thing in their, in their pocket, and when it's their turn, they just discreetly wipe and sip, and nobody sees it, and everything goes on. If they made a show of it, it would be totally inappropriate. And so we say, here's who we are, warts and all, and some may just grasp that cup and drink freely, and some may turn it to the handle, not knowing they're drinking after a lot of people, and so here we go. Okay. Brother Bunner. You know, I, I always, I appreciate your remarks. I always thought that uh, J.W. McGarvey's articles, when he talked about sanitation, and he pointed out that baptism is something that, you know, folks might be more concerned about than drinking after one another because of everybody in his day pretty much baptized in ponds or streams, and he described, you know, the elements that would be in the water. And of course, we see that, especially in foreign countries, that, you know, I've, I've seen folks baptized that I'm wondering, is this scriptural? Because I'm looking at what they're going down into, and I'm thinking, is this water? Uh, but, uh, you know, in the Bible, you have a man named Naaman that says that the Jordan River was a, a dirty river. And you have the example of Jesus going down after that was said some length of time, obviously, and saying, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. And he was immersed in the Jordan River. And so I just tell folks, let's follow Jesus' example and not worry about sanitation whether it be baptism or whether it be the observance of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Brother Alan Bonifay. Good job as usual, Greg. Thank you. I just wanted to point out, since you brought up that there are some metaphors used here, and mm. metaphors a figure of speech, yeah. and I think this was on George's chart, but I couldn't read it fast <coughs> enough, but in a metaphor, both of the nouns are literal. Oh, yeah. X is Y is a comparison but both X and Y are literal. And the next thing I wanted to mention is that uh, drink this cup refers to drinking the grape juice in the cup, but you can only refer to grape juice as a cup if it's in a cup. Yeah. Now, if you want to test that, 
as my esteemed friend did once, you can go to HEB and find an attendant and ask them where they keep their bottles of cup. Hmm. That's a grocery store, I presume. Yeah. Okay. That's the one around here. Okay. That's a, that's a winning argument. Yeah. Uh, on the Passover, yeah. this third cup is Elijah's cup, they say, and it's left there empty or not drunk from, I should say, in hopes that Elijah will come. I do not think that Jesus observed the, Lord, the Passover with drinking vessels on the table. I cannot imagine Jesus blasting the people in Matthew 15 and Matthew 23 for adding their traditions to the law of God and then observing the Passover meal in a traditional way with cups of whatever drinking material had been added to it. There is no drink element in the Passover. So people reply to that and they say, well, where did he get a cup then? It's not difficult. Jesus didn't institute the Lord's Supper on accident. He brought a cup with him to institute the Lord's Supper. And, but I don't think Jesus observed the Passover in some traditional way. It'd be inconsistent with what he preached. And you might say, well, this doesn't make any difference on how many cups you can use in the communion, as you pointed out, and that's true. It does make a difference on the wine question because mm. those cups were filled with fermented wine in the traditional uh, Jewish Passover. 